We are right now working our way through the book of Romans, and we find ourselves at the beginning of Romans chapter 13, and I want to set the context just a little bit, because otherwise you jump in in Romans 13 and you miss what's going on and you might put the emphasis in the wrong places or misunderstand. I don't know if you have seen many memes You know, those things where they take a picture out of context and they put a different label on it. And so it gives it a totally different meaning, right? You see a kid that's just running down the street and they're just like this, right? And and they have this weird look on on their face and, and you don't have any idea why that picture of that kid was taken or how it made its way onto the internet. But then it, it says something like, me running to Fred Meyer before snowpocalypse, right? And, and they just, they take this, this thing, this picture, and sometimes it's a, a picture, sometimes it's a video or, or some sort of clip from a movie or something, and they take that and they take it out of context so that they can put something different on it. And we don't want to do that with the Bible, right? We want to take the Bible in context so that we understand what it's saying and we put the proper emphasis in the right places and we see, oh, oh this is what's happening here. This actually had nothing to do with Snowpocalypse 2019. This has to do with the worship of God. And so the reason that I say that is because this is coming from the beginning of Romans 12. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is, by the grace of God, I am appealing to you, I'm begging you, Would you offer your body, would you offer your physical self as a spiritual worship to God? The way that you use your body, can you use that as spiritual worship to God? Holy and acceptable. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this is coming off of some great theology in chapters 1 uh, through 11 and explaining this is what God is doing now as a result of what God has been doing throughout history and how He has reached out to us to save us from our sins so that we might uh, respond to Him now, will you offer yourselves as spiritual worship to God? And here are some really practical ways that you can do that. And in chapter 12, he goes on to talk about how uh, we should love one another, how we should have great humility and serve one another. And then he comes to chapter 13 and he says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. 
For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. He begins, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And so this morning, I have uh, the great privilege of talking with you about how to offer your bodies in spiritual worship politically. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, there was a, a small part of me that was hoping for a snowpocalypse this weekend. <laughs> and when, and when the, the weather came like this, I rejoiced and cried a little. So I hope you wore your big boots because I might tromp on some toes. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. There, there sometimes it seems to be to us, from our perspective, that God is missing in the political landscape. That He is somehow absent. Or that it is out of His control. Or what in the world is going on. And the reality is that none of this catches God by surprise. God uses the governing authorities for His purposes. And there are some times, depending on uh, what four years we're in, that people will be like, yeah, see that? Respect the governing authorities. And then four years later, they're like, I cannot stand the governing authorities. How do we do that? How do we do that well? Because we find ourselves in a context where things can change rather rapidly. And so how do we as Christians, as followers of Christ, respond well to the political authorities with this in mind? That in the way that we respond politically is our spiritual act of worship. And there's a part of me that goes, I should be able to just say that sentence and then walk out and let you think for the rest of the day. Because I find that for me, that's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult thing for me to think about how to use politics or response to governing authorities as a way of worshiping. I see two tendencies in the church. I'll tell you which is mine, um, and then you can decide which is you. Okay? 
These are the two tendencies that I see. One is hyperactivity, politically speaking. And then there's the kind like me that is more likely to just go, la, 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 la. (laughs) And ignore everything. But what this says here is that we ought to be subject to governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. And we see that and we go, okay, so we're supposed to submit to the governing authorities. We are supposed to place ourselves under the governing authorities. But maybe Paul, when he was writing this to the church at Rome, didn't really understand my context. Maybe he didn't really know about the kinds of governing authorities that I find myself under. I think that's unlikely. I think it's unlikely that Paul was not aware of the various kinds of governing authorities that there are around the world, some of which are quite benevolent and quite generous and kind leaders, and many of which are not to varying degrees. So why would he call us in this way to be subject to and offer deference to governing authorities? Because ultimately, he says, it's not the governing authorities that you're responding to. It is God. Did you think that somehow these governing authorities were outside of God's control? Certainly not. Certainly not. There is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, as as it happens, I have been uh, recently reading through the book of Jeremiah in my quiet time. And the thing that struck me as I read through the book of Jeremiah this time was how God was using these foreign countries to come in and bring judgment on His people. And in fact, He sent Jeremiah to the nation of Israel to say, hey, listen, here's what's going on. These people are going to come in and they're going to drag you off into captivity. We are going to lose. I know that there are other prophets around here who are telling you God will deliver us from this. That is not true. God is using foreign authorities that have nothing to do with Him and don't worship Him to bring judgment on us because we have been unfaithful. And let me go a step further to say this. That if you resist this judgment of God, it will go far worse for you. You should hand yourself over to be dragged off into captivity because it will go much better for you if you just accept the judgment from God. And I'm reading that and I'm going, wow! Really? 
Because it seems to me, from my perspective, like the nation of Israel at this time, they weren't doing everything right, admittedly. But they were still identified as God's people. And so shouldn't some of those people of God rise up and go, no, no, we're going to fight back for our sake? Nope. Submit to the governing authorities. In fact, he goes on in Jeremiah 29, verses 7-9, to he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Don't, don't listen to them when they say, oh, oh, the Lord will, t- will save us from them. No, go ahead and go. This is the judgment. You're going to get dragged out of the promised land. You're going to go into captivity. And while you're there, don't just keep praying that uh, God will deliver you and bring you back home, but pray for the welfare of the place that you find yourselves, where you are exiles there. Now, all of that to bring us back to Romans. Where in Rome, these people who are Christ followers are exiles in Rome. Some of them are Roman citizens and some of them are not Roman citizens. Some of them get treated better than others because of their standing in the hierarchy of Rome. But the reality is that none of them belongs to Rome. As Christ followers, they belong to the kingdom of God. But they submit to the governing authorities in Rome, whatever that looks like and whatever that means, for the sake of the gospel, and because ultimately that's what God is doing there. And we find ourselves in our context as exiles here in the United States. Some of us... Many of us probably are natural born citizens of the United States. We consider this to be our home and we would like to defend our rights. But the reality is this is not our home. We are exiles here. Foreigners living in a strange land. Subjecting ourselves to these governing authorities, recognizing that for this time, God has placed us in this place and under these authorities for His purposes. Sometimes for blessing, sometimes for judgment, sometimes for a mixture of the two that seems very confusing and I don't understand. But the reality is that God has placed us in this place, not for the sake of our physical comfort here, but as exiles and foreigners living in a foreign land with a future home and a future kingdom that is a heavenly one that has nothing really to do with this. And so in the way that we interact with the government and the governing authorities and with the political landscape, this is our opportunity for spiritual worship. 
that in the way that we interact in this place, in the way that we pray for this place, God, would you bless this place? For in that context, we also will be blessed. Like Jeremiah was saying, pray for Babylon. And in their blessing, you also will be blessed. So we will pray for this place and we will seek the good of this place. But ultimately, our greatest desire is that it will bring glory to God in the way that we interact politically. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one And do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant to your good. Do what is good. Bring glory to God. I have to say that every couple of years when we have another election or another vote of some kind, I just get so tired. And I pray that we don't win. And the reason that I pray that we don't win is because it seems like every time we win politically, God's name and God's glory loses. And the church of Christ loses spiritually. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. What, what if, what if we were known as a church? What if we were known for the good that we were doing, rather than the political stance that we were taking? What if we were known for how loving, how compassionate, how sacrificial we were toward those who were down and out? Toward those who were hurting? To those who were different than us, who were unlike us? To those who are in our political landscape would be considered to be our enemies? You, you see, when some people are reading this, they, they are reading about how we offer our bodies as uh, spiritual worship, which is our, uh, we offer our bodies before God as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. And then they read about love, and they read about humility, and then they go, submission to governing authorities? Why is this here? I don't know. And then they read about love some more and things, and they go, that's a really weird section. I'm not sure why it's placed there. But in Romans chapter 12, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now, he says, and submit to the governing authorities. That's the direct context. How do we respond to our enemies? With good. And with love. And with compassion. In fact, in the way that you respond to the governing authorities who might be considered your political enemies, who might have it out for you, respond with good and love and compassion. Knowing that vengeance is the Lord's. And no authority has come into positions of power apart from the will of God to place them there. And we may look at them and go, but look at all the evil that they're doing. Yep. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Babylonians came in, the Chaldeans came in, the Assyrians came in to judge God's people. And the prophets said, what's going on, God? Do you know how wicked these people are? You're using them to judge us? What are you thinking? I mean, I know we've been sinning, but it's been nothing compared to these guys. And God says, oh, don't worry. I will judge them too for all that they have done and all that they will do. I will judge them too. But I am using them for the time being to do this. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. He will take care of the justice piece. We don't need to worry about that. Our response is humility and compassion and love. Do what is good and you will receive His approval for He is God's servant for your good. I was trying to think through Specific things. Specific things that we look at and we go, that's evil. There should be laws that don't allow for that. That sin, that's evil, we should not permit that. And we campaign. And we legislate and we try and make it so that no one will do that thing. These are people who don't follow God. Do we, do we really think that we are going to be able to legislate to them that they will become morally good? Do we think that in legislating that they must do morally good, that this will make them more acceptable to God? Has that made us more acceptable to God? What if instead we just found ourselves loving well? What if we look at a, an issue like abortion and say, this is so tragic. And our response is, we want to make it so that the foster care system is not so broken. 
We want to make it so that adoption is a thing that is so prevalent that there are so many good homes, so many people willing and desiring to bring in the orphans, the, 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 child, the uh, fatherless and motherless, that anybody who was thinking about aborting a baby would go, except that if I don't, I know that they, it will go to a great home rather than into a broken foster care system. What if we were so known for our love and compassion in this area that it changed the way that people thought about it? And you know, I think the church is doing that. I think that we could do more, but I think that the church is doing that, but that's not the reputation. I have a friend on Facebook that posted a thing that said, Dear Christians, if you really want for people to stop aborting babies, then you should care for unwed mothers. Then you should care for uh, the, the foster care system. Then you should be doing adoption. Then you should be uh, loving in these ways and providing resources and education and help and support and all of these things. And I was looking at that going, you know, not everything on the list, but I think that many of the things on the list the church is doing, but that's not the reputation. The reputation is the church says, I care more that you're not allowed to abort than what happens to you or your child if you do. What do we do about that? This is why I want to cry every time we lose politically and I want to cry every time we win politically. And why I personally have a tendency to just go, I'm not going to pay any attention. Which I don't think is healthy. But neither do I think it is healthy to think that we will win politically. That somehow by power, we will force people to do the things that are right. And that then God will bless us as a nation because we have legislated morality. It's just not going to work. We're better off to just love one person really well. And have them respond to the love of Christ and gain one soul for the kingdom of God than legislate that in the kingdom of the United States everybody has to behave like they believed in God. Then do what is good and you will receive His approval, for He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain, for He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Again, both both spring to mind uh, Romans 12 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to me, to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. And this is how God decides to do that. He uses the, the power of the government to do those things. And sometimes the, they get it right, and there is justice, and those times are wonderful. And sometimes they don't do it exactly right. And the justice is not so just. But God uses these things. Titus chapter 3 says this, Remind them, remind the Christians, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us, richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Look at how God treated us when we were so ugly and disgusting and unworthy. And yet He poured out His mercy and riches on us. And so shouldn't we have that same kind of response? Not, not to be quarreling and, and, and speaking evil and, and, and talking bad about all of those people who are on the wrong side of the aisle. Or ha- who have picked a side of the aisle. But to be gentle. Courteous. Pouring out richly the same kind of lavish love that God has poured out on us. With the hope of an eternal life that is different than this. The reason that we can respond differently, the reason that we're not overly concerned about what happens with the nation that we find ourselves in, yes, we pray for its peace and prosperity, we hope that it will be peaceful, we hope for things that will will happen well here, but ultimately our hope is not in that. We have a future kingdom. So whether we have favored status in the nation right now or not, It's of no importance. Ultimately, we are looking at a future kingdom. A kingdom that that is not bound by the United States or by the European Union or any other political ties or connections, but is one that is heavenly. Romans 13, verse 5, Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. It's um, Whether or not we pay taxes, 
shows our attitude toward the government. That's not the only way that we show our attitude toward the government. But submitting in that way, it it shows a real submission to go, this is what I owe the country. This is what I owe the city. This is what I owe the state. This is what I owe. And we pay those debts. As a way of saying, yes, I am putting myself in submission to this government. I am honoring this government. It's a super practical way of doing that. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Yep, it's broken. But it's where we find ourselves right now. And ultimately, God is in control. And ultimately, our hope is in a different place. And so we will pay the taxes that are due. We'll try and do it with a good attitude and not grumble too much. We'll try to live peaceably with other people. We'll try to be generous and compassionate for the sake of the glory of God. First Peter 2 it says the same kind of thing. Uh, in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor." Do good. Do good for the sake of the country, for the sake of your community, and for the sake of the glory of God. Too often we're trying to cling to power and comfort instead of seeking to do good. It doesn't cost us very much to vote on something and to use the power that the church has in the United States and alignments that we have with, with other organizations to try to force something to happen, and it didn't cost us anything. Doing good and loving people with compassion, that costs us something. It costs us time. It costs us effort. It costs us emotionally. It may cost our reputation some because of the people that we're hanging out with and the things we're choosing to do. But ultimately, those are the things that are going to bring glory to God and are going to win people over for the sake of Christ that they also may rejoice. Romans 13, uh, verse 7, Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is not always easy. Paul didn't put these in here because they're no-brainers. Duh. 
I, I knew that. Taxes, because I owe the taxes, and revenue to whom the revenue is owed. We, we tend to go, maybe I don't have to pay all the taxes. Maybe I, maybe I don't need to pay all the revenue. I mean, he took a pretty big share. He is not respectable. She is not honorable. I'm going to call them names instead. I'm going to talk about how disgusting and ugly and stupid they are. I'm going to make fun of every aspect of their character and being because I so dislike and disrespect them that I think everyone should know they are despicable human beings. Oh, wait, that's not what this says. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That doesn't mean we can't disagree, but we do it respectfully. We do it while still giving honor and deference. It doesn't mean that we just lay down and say these issues are not important, but we strive more for service and love and compassion and education and helping people understand what's happening rather than forcing power plays. And recognizing that ultimately a win is not political. Whether the law goes our way or does not go our way, that's not what determines a win around here. Did God get glory and praise or was His name tarnished? That's what should determine a win. Did God get glory? Or does He not look as good because of what I did here? I want to finish with this from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Can we put our primary energy there? That with prayer and supplication and petition to God that we would pray We would pray for those who are in authority. We would pray for the president. We would pray for uh, kings and those who are in high positions. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That we may be godly and dignified in every way so that it would be pleasing to God. And so that 
others would be saved by coming to a knowledge of the truth. Can we spend a couple of minutes doing that now? I'll I'll pray for a, a minute and then I'd just love for you to just silently in your seat petition the Lord on behalf of governments, whether local government or national government or world governments. Let's just pray. Father, we recognize that ultimately you are in control and there is no authority anywhere in the world that was not there apart from you. And so recognizing that, Lord, we come to you in prayer, we ask, would you forgive us for the times that we have acted apart from the things that bring you glory and honor? that we have pursued other things that have to do with our comfort or, or have to do with um, our power rather than things that bring you glory and have compassion on others. And so, Father, now, we ask that you would help us to do that and we ask, would you bless Would you bless for the sake of your glory this city, this state, this country, and the nations in this world?